Welcome to New Covenant Church. You're listening to this week's message with teaching pastor Daryl Feemster. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel 17. Well, over the last few months, in fact, maybe years, I've been praying for God to raise up leaders. Not just any leaders, His leaders in our country and in our towns. Recently, I've been studying the uh, life of David. And of all biblical characters aside from Jesus Christ, David is written of in Scripture the most. It takes 66 chapters in the Old Testament to tell his story. And then there's 59 references in the New Testament that pertain to his legacy. But there's a verse in Acts chapter 30, 13, Acts chapter 13, verse 22 in Paul's sermon that he makes a statement that uh, has captured my heart. It says this, And when he, God, had removed him, Saul, he raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, and this is God's testimony of David, I found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. Last week we, we looked at David being a man after God's own heart. And today in the next couple of weeks we're going to be looking at a story in David's life that's probably most familiar to all of us. The, the battle between David and Goliath. And you all, every, the whole world knows the story of David and Goliath. But this story as we're going to look at it in Scripture is not about an underdog against a giant. It's really about fear versus faith. We've had a year, probably more than a year now, that I think that probably the one thing that you could say that there's been a giant of fear that's captured the attention of our world. And... uh, There's been an enemy that's invaded our land, uh, even our thoughts, and for some of us, our lives. A giant of fear that seems to have a grip on people's minds and hearts. It seems like it's a perpetual thing. It's something that though things are changing, nothing is changing. The narrative and the the words and the things, and, and people are still caught in this tug of war with fear and faith. Every generation has it. Uh, Every person has its giants. Supersized challenges that still strut out before us. They rob us of sleep and of, of our peace and most tragically they rob us of our hope and our confidence. So this morning I, I want to take a look at the first part of this story. Uh, you're go- I want to look at the, the story of David and Goliath maybe a little deeper and different than what everybody presumes we know what it is. Everybody presumes, well, I know the story of David and Goliath. Uh, so I want to take a little bit a journey through it with you. This morning we're going to talk about Goliath the Intimidator. The Philistines were the enemies of the kingdom of Israel. 300 years before this time that we're going to be reading, Joshua had driven them out of the promised land and driven them down south to the coast. 
But they were constantly warring to remove Israel out of the land. If you've heard of Gaza or Gath, that's still the land of the Philistines. It's still happening today. Still trying to drive Israel out of the land. In other words, we're talking about a giant that doesn't go away. And so we pick up reading in 1 Samuel 17. And, and while you're turning there, we're going to begin in verse 3. I want you to understand that Saul was given a mandate by God for saving God's people from the Philistine enemy in verses 16 of chapter 9. So the Philistines are encroaching and entering into the tribe of Judah's territory. We pick up in verse 3. So the Philistines, I'm reading from the New Living Translation, the Philistines and the Israelites faced each other on opposite hills with this valley between them. Then Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. and He was over nine feet tall. He wore a bronze helmet and his bronze coat of mail weighed 125 pounds. He also wore bronze leg armor and he carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. The shaft of his spear was as heavy and as thick as a weaver's beam, tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. His armor bearer walked ahead of him carrying a shield. Now, how would you like to be an armor bearer to Goliath carrying a nine-foot shield? Lost my place. Shouldn't have interrupted myself. Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across to the Israelites. Why are y'all all coming out to fight? He called. I'm the Philistine champion, but you're, you're only the servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. I defy, and that's an important word here. I defy, the word means to blaspheme or to expose to ridicule. I defy, I blaspheme the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. And when Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. Look at verse 16. For 40 days, every morning and evening, the Philistine champion strutted in front of the Israelite army. 40 days, 80 times, day after day. God and Goliath. Goliath the intimidator. Comes out dressed to kill, literally. Well, why do I call him the intimidator? When the Bible calls him, or actually he calls himself, the champion. The word champion in in Hebrew simply means the man in between. The man in the middle. So all Goliath was, was somebody in the middle. There's no record, historically, of him ever having a battle. He may have been their best, at least he was the best dressed... But what is evident is in this whole story is that he's an intimidator. To intimidate means to induce fear or a sense of inferiority in another. Intimidation is a communication that makes you afraid to try something. Now think about this. How could a man, one man who has no record of ever killing anyone, neutralize an entire nation of Israel for 40 days? I'm glad you asked. 
because that's the, the, the impact it made on me. I think that the church of the living Lord Jesus is being intimidated out of our authority and victory and even out of our hope in this day and now in time. We need to see how to deal with intimidation. And so what I hope this morning, you'll get to see how we're being intimidated and then also I want to show you how God intends us to deal with it. So I want us to look at the tactics of Goliath's intimidation. Goliath's tactics of intimidation. The first tactic is that Goliath accentuates his strengths. He's over nine foot tall. There's, there's talks about in the King James, the cubits and the span. Literally, he's nine foot nine inches tall. Nine foot nine inches tall. He has a a bronze helmet, and he has a bronze coat of mail that weighs 20, 125 pounds. He has bronze leg armor, and he carries a bronze javelin on his shoulder. And he has a spear that the head of it is 15 pounds. And his armor bearer is, is, is chugging to carry his shield. Now clearly, Goliath has the size advantage the height advantage over anyone in Israel. The average Israeli, and probably during this time, is said to have been about 5'6". And here's Goliath, 9'9". Nine 5'6 nine. and 9'9". Nine nine. That's a shack on steroids. And he made sure everyone saw it because he was dressed to kill. I'm t- you realize that bronze, when it's, when it's uh, polished, looks like gold. And so when Goliath walks out there, all foot, all nine foot nine of him, and walks out there with his bronze helmet, bronze breastplate, bronze uh, shin guards, bronze javelin, the sun, just the reflection of the sun would make him look larger than life. He's accentuating his strength. He's, he's intimidating with his very presence. He's equipped with overwhelming uh, weaponry. He's certainly a specimen, and he intended it to be that way. Did you ever wonder, now, did you ever wonder how they knew how much, how tall, I mean, you can see how tall he was, but that there's a measurement. There's poundage. How did they know all of these things? Was there an enemy in the camp whispering in their ear? Did you see? Look at, that's a 15 head, that's a 15 pound head on that spear. Look at that bronze helmet. Look at that. That's why that's 125 pounds on his chest. How did they know? Have you ever heard the whispers of the enemy of how easily he can tell you how great that big things are? How wide, how long, how severe, how long it'll last, how strong? Accentuating the strengths of the enemy. Now, I realize David does cut his head off and he puts his... uh, puts his armor in his tent, I mean David's tent, and so they might have measured him and put the head back on to see how tall he was. I don't know. But it just made me stop and think, well, they're, they're, I mean, here's what the point is. They are so caught up with the Goliath, his size, his strength, his weaponry, so caught up with the enemy. They probably had a class on how big Goliath was. And you do know that he grows. All stories grow. 
Anyway, the whole point is this. It's designed to convince everybody that Goliath, along with the rest of the Philistines, are invulnerable. There's no way around him. There's no way through him. This is a done deal. Nobody's going to fight Goliath. Nobody. And as you're reading this, you've got to recognize, where was Saul? It says, Saul and all the army heard it, and Terah were terrified and in great dismay. Where was Saul? You see, Saul was Israel's giant. When they found Saul in 1 Samuel, it says that Saul stood head and shoulders above all the other Israelites. So that probably means he was about 6'6". Compared to all the Israelites, he was a giant. And he had armor that would rate for a king. The women would say, he's killed his thousands. He was said to be a great warrior. Where was he that day? I got a feeling he was in his tent trying to figure out what to do. You see, the one that ought to have stepped out on the field was Saul. Because, in fact, in, in, in 1 Samuel, God tells Samuel to anoint Saul as king for the people because he had prepared him to defeat the enemies of Israel. The people wanted a king. And uh, it says in chapter 8, verse 20, that God give us a king like all the other nations, that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. Well, where is he now? He's terrified. He has a breakdown. That's what the word greatly dismayed. He's terrified and having a breakdown. The giant of Israel is having a nervous breakdown because of Goliath. Deeply distressed. We're living in an intimidating world. Things are overwhelming. Problems are soaring. Pandemics, rising costs, inflation. If you, if you speak up in our day, you may be challenged or charged or even canceled. Day after day, the enemy clearly shows us how bad things are, how big things are, and how little you can do about it. Things are out of hand. They're getting worse every day. There's no hope. Except that you've got to understand, we've been called by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We've been saved by the grace of God. We've been made a new creation in Christ. Now listen to this. And we've been given an armor. Put on the whole armor of God. And yet I, I sense that right now in the midst of our world, we're being intimidated out of everything we've been given because we've got our eyes on the Goliaths of our country, the Goliaths of our world, the Goliaths of fear and frustration. It's accentuating his strengths. The next tactic is he steals the narrative. You hear a lot about narrative these days. And that's what it got me to realize. Goliath stole the narrative of the day. Now this is huge. You see, who controls the narrative, the story, controls the hearts of the people. We're empowered or disempowered by the narrative or the storyline we live by or we express to others. A correct Narrative gives you authority. A distorted narrative causes us to lose that authority. Well, how did Goliath grab the narrative? 
The first thing he does when he comes out, he, asks, he shouts to Israel and he says, Why have you come out to line up for battle? Why have you come out in battle array? Goliath distorts the narrative in this way. He makes it look like Israel's the one who's looking for a fight. Now you've got to realize they have invaded Judah. But I'm going to blame you for wanting to fight. He, he controls the narrative. Why have you come out and raid in battle? Why are you out here? I'm a Philistine. You're the armies of Israel. Why are, why are you wanting to fight? <laughs> and then he begins to accuse and challenge the narrative. You see, the reality, the truth was Israel was the one out there trying to reclaim territory that the Philistines had invaded. How easy it is in our day to hear the narrative that's coming through the airwaves, literally news, but that's more, it's more than that, the airwaves of what you're hearing in your own head, your own fears, that's coming through the airwaves. We're living in a, a, an intimidation. And, and, and these words are saying, can't you just let this go? Don't worry about it. It'll pass. Why do you have to cause a scene all the time? You see, it's an interesting note that the land they invaded was Judah. Judah, in Hebrews, means praise. The land they invaded was praise. There's no praise going on right now. There's no worship of God. They're not going back to, the, to their tents and worshiping God. They're going back to their tents and shaking in fear. And let me tell you something. The enemy will always attack you in the place where you stop worshiping. The victory is in... You see, God inhabits the praise of His people. Corporate worship is so important. And you realize over the last year what's been... You can't sing, you can't go to church, you can't do... It's just like we. this enemy has just been intimidating us because of fear out of everything that would keep us in the presence and the encouragement of who God is. The enemy comes to stop our praise. When we, every time we leave a vacuum in our praise and adoration of God, the enemy will send out a champion of intimidation to come after us. I'm going to say something that you need to hear. The majority of churches right now have lost all their servants. Not all. They've lost the majority of their servants. People are not coming back to church to serve. They might come every once in a while to attend, but they're not coming back to serve. It only took one year or a few months of us stopping what we're doing for the enemy to get in and say, you don't need to do that anymore. You don't have to do that anymore. And that's not to say anything of any accusation. I just want you to see, or see how intimidation can get us to cause us to, to step back, step away, get out of the routine, and stop our worship and praise and participation. You see, he... He controls the narrative. Well, you don't have to be in church to worship. Absolutely not. But don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Number three, the tactic of diminishing identity. Verse 8, he says, Am I not a Philist- the Philistine and you 
You're the servants of Saul? Am I not the Philistine and you're the servants of Saul? Notice that, the army of Israel. This is subtle. He called God's covenant people, Israel, just servants of Saul. Not servants of the living God. Not servants of Yahweh. Servants of Saul. And not the armies of the living Lord, but the armies of Israel. It's a subtle thing, but literally he just strips the soldiers of their identity of who they are as representing God. Who they are in the realm of God's covenant. They're merely servants. And you see, once Goliath gets them to believe they're merely servants of Saul, then the battle was half won right there. They were the people of God, the army of the living Lord. But now it looked like they were just servants of Saul, terrified and greatly dismayed. I want to read you something that I found. It's by Roger Ellsworth. He paraphrases this glass taunt. And listen to what it says. It says, Am I not a pagan, a God-hating Philistine? Then why won't any of your men of the living God fight me? You must not really believe in him at all. In fact, you must believe that a nine-foot warrior is actually stronger than your living God when it comes to a real battle. Think about what he just said. You don't believe in your God or you wouldn't be fearing me. This is the kind of test that the world still delights to pose to followers of Christ. Often in a Goliath-like mockery. We know what you teach in Sunday school, but let's see how you act when you're faced with the real-life sensual temptation or an opportunity to gain riches by cheating. Let's see that sanctified look on your face when you receive a terrifying medical diagnosis or your bank account crashes. Let's see how you respond when given an opportunity to lie or steal to cover your own issues. You're no different. You're not so good. And in our terminology of today, you're a racist. Just who you are. You're being indoctrinated. No, that's not who I am. I'm not a racist. I'm a child of the living Lord God, born by the blood of Jesus made a new creation by His resurrection. Christ in me is greater than anything else in this world. Well, anyway. We hear it. You don't... Do you really trust me? Do you really trust a God? You see, behind Goliath, the same devil wages spiritual warfare today. And let me tell you something. Don't, he's got us focusing on the enemy. We've stopped focusing on him. Now, hopefully we haven't, but the temptation is to see how to handle the problem instead of talking to the problem solver. We hear it, we see it, it seems so powerful. Doubts come in, fears, frustration, then depression, and then it leads us to be disgusted with ourselves. I don't know about you, but he comes to bed with me at night telling me what do you, who you think you are. You ever hear those whispers at night? What did you do today? How's that working for you? See, you're, you're, it's not. This ain't, this ain't right. This ain't right. 
And then when you wake up in the morning, you know what the first thing? Well, what are you going to do today? Who do you think you are? Do you think you'll be any different? You hear it all the time. The Goliath of intimidation. Controlling the narrative. Diminishing identity. And accentuating his power and strength. Well, how do you break intimidation? You need to man after God's own heart. David enters the scene. 1 Samuel 17, 20. Uh, Jesse sends David with supplies. Now, you've got to understand that David, the people of Israel served in the army if you were 20 and older. So that means that David, because he wasn't serving in the army, his three older brothers were, he was under 20. So we're talking about a kid probably 15 to 18 years old. Got it? 15 to 18 years old. Some of you youth would qualify to be a David in your generation, in my generation. 1 Samuel 17, 20. So David left the sheep with another shepherd and set out early the next morning with the gifts as Jesse had directed him. And he arrived at the camp just as the Israelite army was leaving for the battlefield with shouts and battle cries. I love this. They go back to their tent in fear, but then when they come out in the morning, they're ready. Shouts and glory. They're going to be something different today. Today's going to be different. Today's going to be different. We're going to whoop him today. We're going to get him today. They go out there and look at verse... 23, and as he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, come out from the Philistine ranks. Then David heard them shout, as usual, the taunt to the army of Israel. In verse 24, as soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. They go out with shouts and declarations, and they run with their tail between their legs in fear. Verse 26, David asked the soldiers, What will a man get for killing this Philistine and ending his defiance of Israel? Who is this, this is key, who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God? You see, David didn't view this challenge as a military problem, as a military thing. He viewed it as a spiritual conflict. He had no doubt that Israel was God's own chosen people. The army did not just belong to Saul. It was the army of the living God. David viewed this battle as one where the honor and glory of the Lord overrode everything else. And when no one stepped up to defend God's name, it made God look weak. And David got mad and wouldn't tolerate it. Verse 31 and 32 says that David questions, David, then David's questions were reported to King Saul. In other words, suddenly these guys hear this guy saying these things, and so they tell Saul, and Saul sends for him. He comes in. This is what David says to Saul. Don't worry about the Philistine. I'll go fight him. 15 to 18. When hardened warriors... Saul, six foot six, wouldn't. Fifteen year old, I'll go fight him. What's just happened? I want to show it to you. What's just happened? David just got there. This may have been the 80 time, 81st time that, the, that Goliath had come out. What had just happened? David takes back the narrative. 
Who is this? I'm going to read it from New King James. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy, blaspheme, expose, and ridicule the armies of the living God? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? David's first point is Goliath wasn't just a Philistine. He was an uncircumcised Philistine. Now, this is not just a mere insult. Circumcision was the specific sign of covenant between Israel and God. All the men on Israel's armies had been circumcised as a sign of their covenant with God. The land that they were standing on at that moment was given to them by covenant. David was just setting back the narrative to be straight with what the truth was. He was pointing out, Goliath has no covenant with God. He's an idolater. He's a blasphemer. He's ridiculing our covenant God. And then he reestablishes their identity. This uncircumcised Philistine wasn't just defying the servants of Saul or the armies of Israel. He was in in fact defying, blaspheming the armies of the living God. They may have been cowards at the moment and pitiful to look at, but the truth is they were still the armies of the living God. And I love this. It's plural. Armies. They weren't fighting by themselves. Just like Elijah says, Look, Lord, open their eyes to let them see. All that's fighting with you. This is not a fair fight. You are the armies of the living God. Remember who you are. This Philistine's in our land given to us by covenant by God. Remember who you are. And with the narrative and the identity correctly established, for David, it's clear who's going to win. David knew Goliath's going down. He didn't know it because he's comparing his abilities to Goliath's. But by simply knowing the real narrative and stepping into the power of the correct identity that the real narrative provided. Folks, listen to me. If the enemy can reduce you to living out of any other identity than your identity in Christ, then he's essentially already set the stage for deceiving you, discouraging you, and defeating you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Listen, that's who you are. You're part of the body of Christ. Jesus Christ who said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. Now you go. Go in my name, in my authority. I will be with you. He takes back the entire narrative. He corrects the true identity. Your armies of the living God. And then he accentuates Israel's greatest strength. The living God. The living. He's an idolater and a blasphemer. You serve a living God. You're in covenant with a living God. You realize in the story that we read up until now, there was no mention of God. There was a lot about Goliath and a lot about fear. David 
his first step on the stage of the battlefield and he turns everything back to God. The narrative, the identity, and the strength. Up until now, the soldiers never mentioned anything about him. The brothers never spoke his name. But David takes one step on the stage and it's the living God. It's the living God. He does the same with King Saul. There's no chit-chat about the battle or the questions or about the odds. It's just a God-focused announcement. Verse 37, The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. David saw what others didn't. And he refuses to see what others do. David only mentions Goliath twice. Nine times he mentions the Lord. Nine to two. In other words, four to one. He talks about God four times to every time the enemy's mentioned once. <laughs> David majors on God. He sees the giant. Now, don't, don't misunderstand. He saw him walk out. He, he saw his gleaming armor. He saw all there was about him. But you see, he saw something different. He saw how big God was. And he saw his relationship and Israel's relationship with their God. David had a framework and a mindset that was different from everybody else's because he had been spending time as a shepherd under the stars of a creator that had entered covenant with him and with you. So David makes only two statements to Goliath. One's in Saul, verse 36, and the other one is one to Goliath's face. And I want you to see what David said to Goliath's face. Verse 45, David replied to the Philistine, You come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you defied, you blasphemed. Today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head, and then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there's a God still in Israel. That's it. Two Goliath-related comments and no questions. No inquiries about Goliath's skill, his age, his social standing, or his IQ. He didn't check out his heritage. David asked nothing about the weight of the sword or the size of the spear. Because it's not about Goliath anymore. It's about his God. But he makes much of God. Nine to two. Four to one. It made me stop to think. Do I consider God's grace four times as much as I consider my guilt? In other words, do I talk four times as much about God's grace or do I talk more about my guilt, my sin? Is my list of blessings four times as long as my list of complaints? Is my mental file of hope and confidence four times as thick as my mental file of fear and dread? Are you four times as likely to describe the strength of God as you are to describe the demands of your day? And we wonder why our giants seem so threatening. For every time you would complain... David would have looked to God four times 
of His provision, of His strength, of His covenant. You see, here's the problem. We know Goliath. We recognize his walk. We know, we sure know how he talks. We hear his voice. The question is, is he all we see? The question is, is he all we hear? You see, David saw and heard more than the enemy. His first words, although about Goliath, was on the Lord. Who is this pagan Philistine who's, that he's allowed to defy the armies of the living God? Who is this pagan? Here's the thing. Who is this news? Who is this paper? Who is this temptation? Who is this compared to God? Who is this diagnosis? This pagan diagnosis. You see, doctors are still practicing They may not have it perfect yet. But God has it perfect. I am the God who healeth thee. When's the last time you told your disease who God was? When's the last time you told the thing that had been pronounced against you what the truth about you was? You've got to understand, we have been walking with Goliath for so long, we've learned to listen to their voices, and we've stopped hearing what God has said is about us. We need to change the narrative. We've got to restore the identity, and we've got to accentuate who really is our strength. Jesus Christ. Daniel 11.32 says this, The people who know their God shall be strong. That word means to be strengthened and grow strong and will carry out great exploits. The people who know their God. Perhaps the reason we're so easily intimidated by the world systems and the voices of our Goliaths is because we don't know God. Not really. We know about Him. We go to church. We, we hear what other people say about Him. We... We hope he's right. We hope it's going to turn out. But we don't know him, not intimately, not relationally. We don't talk to him the first thing in the morning and he's not the last one we're talking to at night. You see, we hear all the other voices. But the people who know their God will be made strong and will do exploits. How do I get to know him? Get into a relationship with him. Jesus Christ came, lived, and died and rose from the grave that you might have a personal relationship with the Father, the covenant God. He instituted a new covenant. You were birthed into a new kingdom, and He's King. Come to know Him. How do you know Him? By walking with Him, by talking with Him, by reading His Word, by knowing what He says about you instead of what everybody else says about you. Stop listening to the giant of your fears. Fix your eyes on Jesus. He's not changed. We've read the end of the book. He wins. What good has problem pondering got you? Some of us have stared so long at Goliath, we know how many hairs he's got on his chest. 
We're so problem focused. Let me tell you something. Focusing on a problem has never fixed it. Listing your hurts won't heal them. Itemizing your troubles won't solve them. Categorizing your rejections won't remove them. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. He's given you His name. Use it. It's as mighty today as it was in David's day. The God who made a warrior out of David is here this morning to make a warrior out of you. Tell your Goliath where he can go and get on God's side. Would you pray with me? Father, we come to you recognizing that our hope, our strength, and the truth of our story is in Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what anybody else says. It matters what you say. It doesn't matter what the world has done. It matters what you have done. And you who began this good work in us is going to bring it on to completion until the day that Jesus comes because we are a covenant people who belong to you. Father, set the narrative. Restore our identity. Reestablish it in our minds and hearts. And accentuate the strength of the name of Jesus in our day. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let me share just a, a few announcements with you. For the next month, July 27th through, uh, I mean, June 27th through July 25th, we're going to be supporting the Hope Pregnancy Center here in Lampasas. If you don't know who they are, they have people outside a table to talk to you about the resources and services that they provide young ladies in Lampasas, the surrounding area, as a resource center for people who are in need. They're going to be, they're going to be handing out little baby bottles. Take one with you. Fill it full of loose change. Put a check in it. Put a scripture in it. Do something to support them as God calls you, okay? Uh, Beth wanted to go on vacation, and Luther said, yes, ma'am. So July 2nd through August 6th, Common Grounds is going to be closed so they can have some time off. Is that right? You said, yes, ma'am. You did, see? All right. And lastly, I would like you all to join me in prayer for our youth. Uh, Our youth are leaving to go to camp. And yes. So those of you who have teenagers in the house, you'll get to have a little bit bigger food budget this week because the kids are leaving for a minute. She's got a whole van full of snacks and water. They're going to be well taken care of. We're going to pray not only for their protection, but for God's intervention in their lives. Amen. Let's do that right now. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity. Lord, we ask that you be with the leadership, the volunteers, and the sponsors who are going on this trip with our youth. Lord, they are the future not only of this church, but of Lampasas and future families that will, be re- that will reach the kingdom of God for so many other people. So this week, Lord, I pray for not only protection, but a divine intervention, a, a time spent with you, Lord. Let those kids see who they really are in you, not by the world's definition, but by yours. The so Holy Spirit, speak to them individually. Give them a personal word. Give them encouragement. Show them who they really are and show them that they are victorious in their lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. 